Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, the Discipleship and Teaching Ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as cruise or training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we'd love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. We are in Matthew chapter 5 still. We are almost through Matthew chapter 5, and uh, that doesn't mean we'll be out of the Sermon on the Mount, though, because it is three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, just to kind of say why we're doing this study. Um, because uh, I realize that a lot of people are saying, okay, well, you're, you're speaking a lot about discipleship or what it means to be a disciple. And the reason why this is so vital and important is because every single one of you that are seated in this room or watching online today that have professed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been given the position and important part of spreading His good news. In fact, the last thing He did and said before He left this earth was go make disciples. In other words, He wants you to grow others in their faith as learners and followers of Him. So in order for us to do that, we need to understand what it means to be a disciple. And that's why we're taking our time going through these three chapters on the Sermon on the Mount. Well, today we are in the next in our series here called You Have Heard It Said, and we're on what I'm calling Make Friends, and today we will look at another tough and interesting topic that Jesus is teaching His disciples from the Sermon on the Mount. After telling His disciples, He wants them to have an inward righteousness that affects their outward walk and relationship and lifestyle with other people. He begins to explain in a real sense what that should look like. He starts saying, okay, so what does it mean to live inwardly, outwardly? What does it look like if you're going to live under the law of love? What does it mean if you're going to follow Jesus in your lifestyle? And begins to define what his yoke looks like. You remember we talked about how rabbis each had their yoke, their definition of the law. And that's what they would teach their disciples to come under and live by. And Jesus is saying, okay, so you want to understand my law of love? This is what it looks like. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at six verses today. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 21 to 26. It says this, You have heard that the... Ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you are good for nothing, or the word raka, shall be guilty before the supreme court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Therefore, 
If you are presenting your offering at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled with your brother and then come present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at the law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge and the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid every last cent. It's easy to argue today, isn't it? It's easy to argue today, isn't it? Yeah. And if you don't believe me, just go ahead and post your opinion of something on Facebook. <laughs> it's simple to be, uh, today, a social media tough guy. That's what I like to call it. To basically see somebody's post and take it out of context or something like that. And we've all been guilty of that, you know, I mean, I've been where I've been scrolling, I'm like, I can't believe they just said that, you know, and then I'm like, wait, what am I doing? I know that person. Oh, and it's easy to win a fight, right? It's so easy to win an argument, especially when it's an argument that's one-sided and it's only in your head, right? <laughs> like somebody goes ahead and they say something to you that you don't agree with, and instead of talking to them in that moment, you're just walking and you're like, oh, I can't believe it. And they, you know, the point that I could have said. It's so easy to win an argument when you're driving 20 miles down the road and you remember that thing that you should have said in that moment, right? I've been there, done that. Or it's easy to, you know, go into your boss's uh, office when he's just said something snarky to you and really just tell them how it is, right? But really, that doesn't happen. There's this uh, movie that me and the kids watched with Chip and Linda when we were up there uh, over the summer, and it's called the um, Walter Mitty. The, I forget what it, the, the first part of it, but it's a movie with Ben Stiller that he has a crazy imagination that all these wild things happen in his mind, but then really what it is is he's zoned out and not paying attention to what everybody was saying. And so there's moments where like his boss will be, you know, doing things and he gets into a fist fight with his boss and it's like, you know, he wins and it's like, ha ha, I just won. And then all of a sudden they cut to reality and he's just standing there like, and the guy's in his face going, wow, you just totally zone out, don't you? And that's kind of what I see that we kind of do. We win arguments within our head. But really, should we? Should we be starting those arguments? Should we be starting those fights even in our own brains? Because according to this passage of Scripture, we shouldn't. It really isn't an indicator that we have a sin nature, does, isn't it? This passage is really just hitting to the heart that we have a sin nature that we have to deal with. Because Jesus says, hey, look, it's not just one thing not to murder somebody physically. Why? Because everybody kind of has that same rule of life. Almost every religion says, hey, you know what? You shouldn't kill people. 
Okay, now there are some kooky ones out there that, you know, hey, go ahead and kill as many people as you want. But Jesus is saying, hey, look, that's, that's good. That's basic human humanity. Don't kill each other. But he's saying, but my followers, I want you to take it deeper than that. I want you to deal with the heart issue that is really just eating away at you, which is, hey, you know what? You shouldn't hate anybody within your heart. You shouldn't wish ill on anybody within your heart because you got to deal with what's here before you deal with what's out here. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, you can turn there if you want with me. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this, The good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth that which is good. So he's saying, hey, look, this is a heart issue. It's not just about not killing people. It's about how do you think about people within your heart? Are you struggling to really care about people within your heart? Are you struggling about demeaning people within your heart? Are you struggling with the way that you look and think about people within your heart? And the evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills, say it with me, the heart. In other words, out of the overflow of the heart, the status of what you think, what you speak, what you write, and how you act upon will be lived out. When Jesus gave the portion, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, or the teaching to His disciples, He wasn't saying inward heart change is not just about not killing people. He's saying inward heart change is rightly living what you have already believed about God that you should love God and love people. And he said, and, and killing someone doesn't always come from a knife, doesn't always come from a gun, doesn't always come from a beating. Because you could cut someone without a knife. You could beat someone with your tongue. You could shoot them with your mind. There's a song that I really love. It goes like this. I've never broken bones with a stone or a stick, but I can conjure up a phrase that could cut to the quick. And then he says, and sometimes I say things that I wish that I could take back. Church, that is the heart. Because Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus says, hey, look, it's not one thing not just to kill someone, but don't kill them with your mind. Don't kill them with your speech. Friends, let's be like Jesus. Walk like Jesus. Learn from Jesus. He said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. It starts in here and it's coming outward. The care for people starts in here and it's leaking outward into actions, into speech. Why could Jesus embrace the sinner, the prostitute, the drunkard, the tax collector? Because in here He loved everyone. For God so loved the world 
And you see, it must begin with my heart. It must begin with your heart. Discipleship starts in the heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to get to in in the teaching that He's getting into where He says, you have heard it said. Learn from me. Learn from me is what He's saying is, hey look, I don't murder anyone, but I'm not murdering anyone in my heart as well. Learn from me on how to apply this command not to harm inside here. And he begins it by saying this. He says, going back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He says, You have heard it said that the ancients told, You shall not commit murder. You have heard it said in the law of Moses, is what he's saying. When Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, he's saying one of the first things that were on there was don't kill each other. That's not how you settle things. Don't kill each other. If you want to live in love with God and in love with people, don't kill each other. And then he says in the Talmud and the rabbinic teachings, take it a little bit further and it says, hey, if you kill someone, you're liable in court, is what verse 21 says. But Jesus takes this further than the outside, do not kill. He takes it past the physical rage of a person. And in verse 22, Jesus says, and if you are angry, and the word there is arigizo, and it means to stand in opposition to someone. So if you are angry, standing in opposition to someone, why would you do that? You're standing in opposition against somebody because you don't like that person. It's not because of what they've said. It's not because of what they're doing. Jesus is saying if you're standing against somebody because it's that person. Now this is different than Ephesians chapter 4 when Jesus says, hey, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's different anger. That word is uh, paragizomo. And it means to be irritated. Don't let the sun go down on your irritation. But here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus is saying, hey, don't stand in hatred against your brother. Don't stand opposed to them just because it's that guy and you don't like that guy. He's saying this is the application of the law of heart and murder. That you don't stand against somebody just because it's that somebody. Because when you stand against somebody because it's that person, you are diminishing that person in the sight of God and man. If you do it in God's court, He says you stand guilty. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that God is able to judge the hearts and mind, and the intention of the heart of man. So yeah, you might not walk around killing people that cut you off. No one here might be able to understand what you're saying as you muddle things under that mask, okay? But God understands the intentions of the heart. And that means the good things that you do that people take the wrong way too. And that's what God is looking at. God looks at the heart of man and that's what God judges by. Not by what He sees on the outward. You know, that's what Matthew chapter 6 talks about when it says, hey, don't do things to be seen by man. 
Because you have your reward in full. Why? Because we judge things by what we see on the outside. But Jesus, God, looks at the intentions of the heart. Jesus goes even further after this, saying don't hate or stand in opposition to somebody. In the second half of the verse, verse 22, He says, whoever says to your, his brother, you are good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to fiery hell. Jesus says, I want you to get control of your mind, and I want you to get control of your tongue. We all know that words are powerful enough to hurt, don't we? But words have the power to kill someone's character, and that's what we need to consider. Don't attack or assassinate with the tongue. Why? Because only the king, only the king of kings, has the authority to judge someone in that way. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26, Jesus, when it's talking about the talents, it's God who sits and judges what people have done. The different individuals, they bring before God what they have done, and they say, hey, look, this is what I got. You gave me two, and I, I made you four. You gave me five, and I got you ten. I got you, you know, you gave me one, and I buried it and hid it. And God looks at the last one, and he says, you wicked and foolish servant. Those are the very, very similar words that God is, Jesus is using here. He's saying, hey, look, you should not call someone foolish. You don't have the right even in your head. Don't judge the family of God with your words or even with your mind. Let's get this clear. Can a believer in Jesus Christ hate his brother? You know, there's a, a saying out there that says you can't and that if you uh, hate someone that you're not a believer. Can a believer speak evil about the family of God? There's some people that say that if you don't go to church because you have an issue against church, that you're not saved. But the answer is no. Believers can hate people. They can speak evil about people. That's why Jesus is teaching opposite of that. Can a believer hurt someone? Yes, a believer can hurt someone. Can a believer kill someone? Yes, a believer can kill someone. In fact, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4. Go ahead and go there with me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 to 18, it says this. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. Why would Peter say that? Because the potential within every single one of you is that you could suffer as a murderer. Does he say that means you were never saved? No. Let's move on. Or a thief. Or an evildoer. Or a troublesome meddler. I like that. That's basically saying somebody that goes around riling people up. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. But is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for the judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us first, 
What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the Gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that, righteousness, that right, the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? So Peter is saying, hey look, we should be judged by God as believers for murder, for sin, for hate, for all those different things. It should begin here in the family of God, but by God. And he's saying, and if the righteous... The people that God looks at as righteous. If we're struggling in this judgment, how much worse than those who are not covered by Christ's righteousness. Peter's saying, hey, make sure that you don't do these things. Make sure that you're not a murderer. Make sure you're not a thief. Make sure you're not a meddler. But he didn't say you can't do them. Why? Because there's a heart issue in all of us. In fact, he says, hey, make sure that you're judged as a Christian. It's good to be a disciple. It's good to be seen for for working for Christ. But man, if God punishes His believers, wow, how much harder for people that aren't His children. So let's answer that first question I said. Can a believer hate? Can a child of God murder? Yeah. What about Moses? Moses killed an Egyptian. What about David? David was an adulterer and had his best friend murdered. Yes, they'll go to heaven still. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, it also lets us know that. So can a believer hate? Yes, it's in us. It's in everyone. But what Jesus is trying to get to in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, is He's saying, get control of your heart by giving control to Me. Get control of your thoughts by giving your thoughts to Me. Get control of your actions By giving your heart, your soul, your mind, your spirit over to God in love. Listen, if we want purity in mind, we have to hand over that daily battle to Christ, don't we? That's what Jesus is getting to in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, when He says, hey look, if anyone wishes to follow Me, he must deny himself. Meaning, you have to deny your nature. That nature to hate, that nature to to tear down that nature, that sin nature. Deny that sin nature. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is saying in verse 22 that talk is useless and stands condemned to be thrown in Gehenna. That's what he says when he says, hey listen, you're going to be judged by the words that you say here and it's going to be in fiery hell. That is actually, and I, I usually don't like to say that it's bad translation in the English, but in this case, it's a bad translation in the English. Scripture doesn't actually say fiery hell in this way. It says Gehenna. Gehenna is a very real place. It's a physical location, just like hell is a physical location in Scripture. But whenever Scripture talks about hell or Hades, it uses two other words. It uses the word uh, adu or ades. And it uses the word Tartarus. 
Okay, the word Gehenna is an actual location that the Hebrew people would know. And who is Jesus speaking to? His people, his disciples are Jewish boys. They're Jewish boys. And when he says Gehenna, they would automatically think about the Valley of Hinnom. And that's exactly where Gehenna is located, the Valley of Hinnom. It was an area outside of Jerusalem where they would take all the refuse, all the cow droppings that were dropped as they were walking down the street. They would take, you know, dead animals that, you know, got ran over and things like that. They would take all the trash and they would take it to Gehenna and they would burn it so the smell wouldn't reach the city. And so Gehenna was a place of literally constant burning because Jerusalem was a very large city. In fact, Gehenna had become part of an Old Testament thing as well. If you had an, a, a pot or a plate or anything that was you know, ceremonially clean and it got touched by something that was ceremonially unclean, you would take it to Gehenna and you'd throw it into the fire. And if it lasted, then you could take it back out and it was considered clean again. But if it didn't last, then obviously you weren't supposed to be reusing it. So let's say it was like something ceremonial like in, in, the, in, in uh, you know, the ceremonial, um, let's just throw this out there, one of the plates inside of the temple and it got defiled. You would take it to Gehenna and you'd throw it in there. Now it would last because it was made of gold. But your earthenware wouldn't make it. And so Gehenna became a place of refuse and cleansing. It's a place where you took your stuff from the city to cleanse. Gehenna was a place that was used as, yes, a dump site to keep the city what? Clean. And Jesus is speaking to believers and his followers and his learners, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, Gossip and wickedness and evil thoughts against someone deserve to be taken to the dumpster fire. And just thrown in because every useless word, as Matthew 12, 36 says, you will give an account for. So you know what? Just stop speaking useful, uselessness. Speak life. Jesus is saying, purify the city. Purify yourself. Purify the kingdom by dumping hate and wicked speech out of your life. Someone hating their brother and speaking evil toward another person, Jesus is saying, is, is just a waste of time and a waste of effort, and it creates no love in a situation. If hate is in your heart, if evil speech is in your heart, then we need to stop whatever we're doing. As he says in the passage in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 5, verse 21 to 26, he says, stop whatever you're doing. And he uses the example intentionally. If you are taking a sacrifice to the temple, stop taking the sacrifice and immediately go and make things right with your brother. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say that? He's saying, hey, look, I want you to deal with the heart issue because the law of Jesus is love. And if you have hate inside of your heart, it doesn't matter if you're doing it and you're about to practice communion like we did today. I don't care if you're about to worship. I don't care if you're about to start your morning Bible study. If you remember in a moment the brother that you have something harboring against, go make things right. Why? Because Jesus wants fellowship to be in our heart. 
Our relationship is all about love. Love for God and love for others. And the bond of the church family is, comes first and is prioritized by God. And that's why he's saying here, hey look, if you're taking a sacrifice, if you're taking an offering, he's saying if you're doing something religious, stop it and go deal with the family of God first. Because his law is love. There are five times in this passage from verses 21 to 26 where Jesus mentions judgment, court, or a type of punishment for harboring hurt in your heart. Now the only time in Scripture that we see of a, of a believer standing in judgment is when they stand in judgment at the Bema Seat of God, which is also known as the reward seat. Because Jesus is making a tie, a, he's making a connection here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. It says, Now if any man builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work, which is he has, built, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as by fire. The worthless is burnt up in the fire, but the good remains. Similar of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, isn't it? Throw the worst, worthless words, the wood, hay, and stubble, the things that come out of you that shouldn't be, the things that you're harboring in your heart that shouldn't be there. Hold on to the good. Hold on to the love. Apply and live by the law of love. Amen? Because that's what remains. And that's what God wants to build on. Brothers and sisters, judgment is coming, but it's not for us to give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now for the believer, praise God, we stand before the Bema seat because our sin and our death was already judged on the cross of Calvary. At the end of time, unbelievers will have to stand before the great white throne judgment. And what a terrifying time that will be. But Paul's saying, hey, look, everybody has to stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Jesus wants us to live at peace and in love with one another. And that's what he's getting to in this passage. It's the heart of man. He wants us to live as disciples and under his command of love. By this, that all men will know that you are my followers, that you have love for one another. He wants us to live in such a way that we saw last week that we have a glorious entrance into the kingdom of God. Amen? And he wants us to live inwardly righteous. Focusing on the things above seated at the right hand of God. 
inward be, inwardly being right and lock and step with Him. So brothers and sisters, how do we live that? We think before we speak. We think before we write. We think before we hit send. We pray before we act. We make friends with the enemies that we have. And we live with love in our heart to the family of God. You know, today we practiced communion, didn't we? And isn't it beautiful that we can come together and do that? And I like how Justin, before he did it, he challenged us with 1 John 1, 9 to check our hearts and be cleansed from all unrighteousness, right? So brothers and sisters, before we leave today, I want to give a little time of silence. And I want to challenge you to make your hearts right with God. Because if we're harboring any anger or bitterness against our brother, if we're using any harsh words or we're judging someone else, Jesus says, hey, look, that's worthless to be thrown into Gehenna, into the fire that keeps on burning. It's worthless and it'll burn up. And I don't want you to waste your time on worthless things. That's what Jesus is getting at in the heart here. Your heart needs to accomplish his law of love. Not judgment. Your heart needs to accomplish his law of love God and love people. So if there's something right now that you've brought into church that has been hurting you and hurting your relationship with others, which hurts your relationship with God, then leave it and make it right right now. Because Jesus says, hey, you know what? When you're going and you're about to do your holy sacrifices, Leave it on the altar and go make it right. Brothers and sisters, you're called to be a holy sacrifice yourself. And so as you come here to be filled up, make sure that you don't leave here with the same anger, hate, and words of malice. Go out there so full of love it flows out. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.